For the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at the fear of man. And before we start, let me just share with you my own fear of man story. Uh, It started when I was very young. I uh, had a stuttering problem where I would uh, stutter on certain words. And it took me many years to be able to overcome that, that fear and be able to overcome the anxiety of stuttering. And so I always tended to stay in the background. I never wanted to be out front where I would have to publicly speak. And here I am today speaking to you all. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> thank you. And it is something that still, uh, whenever I'm stressed, it still tends to surface. Uh, so so uh, I was leading Lord's Supper in the uh, uh, church in Texas. There was about 200 people, so I prepared the week before to give this talk, and I choose my words very carefully that, so that there would be no, uh, no, no, no uh, words that I would stutter on. And I got up in front of those people, and I looked into the spotlights, and my, and my brain just went blank. It was one of those deer-in-the-headlight moments, and I just could not remember what, what I was going to say. And my greatest fear was realized. I stood up there in front of all those people, and I wondered, what are these people going to think about me, and what are they going to say? Right? And then after a while, my brain came back, and I was able to finish, but the elders got together right after that service, and they voted that the elders should not lead the Lord's Supper any longer during the service. (laughs) A couple elders actually thanked me for that later on. Okay, so, then, so, so the, very, the very first topic, uh, where and how do we struggle with the fear of man? The fear of man is not just limited to the terror of public speaking. It, expand, it extends into every facet of our lives and every interaction we have with other people. It could be people we know, people we don't know, even whose, people's, whose good opinion uh, of people we, we don't even care to have. It's often, we often struggle with a desire for respect in, in, in the eyes of the world. How many of us have done a Christian activity, like gone to a restaurant and bowed our heads to pray before a meal and felt some em- uh, e- embarrassment, like, like who's watching, or will the waitress staff return like after, before we're done praying? Or how many of us have gone on an airplane and read a book and picked one that had ambiguous titles so no one would know what we're reading? Or maybe we take a small book, something that's easy to conceal that we can hide in our pocket. So why would we be ashamed of doing things that would identify us as Christians, let alone before people whose good opinion we don't even care to possess? Well, just like Peter denying Christ to a mere servant girl, our fear of man is not always logical. Our fear of man is not limited to the things that we say and do. It's also related to the things that we don't say and don't do. Very often, how we respond to conflict demonstrates our tendency to fear man more than God. We don't love addressing sin in other people. We avoid difficult conversations because someone might get a bad opinion of us. We would rather to continue to be wrong by someone than to say that what you're doing isn't biblical and deal with their sin. Why do we respond in this way? It would appear as though we're trying to be peacemakers, not stirring the pot. But all too often, we are peace lovers rather than peacemakers. We would rather a person have a good opinion, opinion of us rather than honestly and sometimes painfully dealing with a problem. Marriage can provide another great avenue for experiencing the fear of man. You are totally exposed to another person, yet we find ourselves wanting to hide things. 
So you cover up a purchase because you know your spouse wouldn't approve of it. Or maybe you hide an overbooked work schedule. Maybe you hide certain sins. Maybe you fear that if anyone else knew you the way your wife knows you, that they would have a different opinion of you. Marriage is one of the key relationships that the Lord uses to help us see and overcome our fear of man. The church is another place that the Lord uses to grow us. Church tends to be a place where we seek the good opinion of other people. We want to be viewed as mature Christians as having it all together. Or maybe you think that those around you are mature Christians, so how can you share your problems with them? When we allow our relationships in the church to be characterized by the fear of others, it shows that we really don't understand what the other, who the other person is, we don't understand who God is, and we don't have an accurate picture of ourselves. We are all sinners that, that need a Savior. So that's a quick introduction into the fear of man. Do you see any of these threads running through your own life? My hope in sharing all this with you is that we will begin looking together at how deep the sin tends to run in our lives and how it can operate outside the realm of our immediate attention. We don't even realize all the ways that we fear others. Ed Welch writes in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, a number of questions that help us diagnose the fear of man. So see if any of these questions ring true to you. Have you ever struggled with peer pressure? Even as adults, we struggle with peer pressure. Do I have the perfect spouse, the perfect child, an important job title? Is my house in the right neighborhood? Do I have the right physical appearance? And the list goes on. Are you overcommitted? Do you find yourself, do you find it's hard to say no, even when wisdom would dictate that you should? Do you need something from your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, a friend? Do you need them to listen to you, to respect you? Do you need them to fulfill a certain role that you desire? Self-esteem. Is self-esteem critical for you? Do you ever feel as if you might be exposed as an imposter? The sense of being exposed even among the apparently successful is an expression of the fear of man. Are you always second-guessing your decisions because of what people might think of, of you? Are you afraid of making a mistake because you would look bad in the eyes of people? Are you afraid of taking risk? Do you feel empty or meaningless? Do you experience love hunger? Here again, if you need others to fill you, you are being controlled by them. Do you get easily embarrassed? Do you ever lie, especially a little white lies? What about cover-ups where you're not technically lying with your mouth? Lying takes on many forms and living in the dark usually is a way to make ourselves look better before people. They also serve to cover up our shame before them. Are you jealous of other people? Do other people make you angry, depressed? Do they drive you crazy? Do you avoid people? Aren't most diets, even advertised under the heading of health, dedicated to impressing others? For that matter of fact, how about obsession with physical fitness? Have all these descriptions missed the mark? When you compare yourself to others, do you feel good about yourself? Perhaps the most dangerous form of the fear of man is a successful man. Such people think that they have made it, that they have more than others. They feel good about themselves, but their lives are still being defined by other people rather than God. Have any of these descriptions or questions captured you? One more question. Have you ever been too timid to share your faith in Christ because of what a person might think of you? 
If you haven't gathered it yet, the purpose of this seminar is not to give you tools for bolstering your self-esteem. Rather, we are going to explore what the fear of man looks like in our lives and in our culture, what we, what we have been called to do, fear God and love others, and how we've lost this focus and how we can reestablish the fear of God in our lives and regain a right perspective about ourselves and others. During this course seminar, we'll explore various ways that we most often tend to be controlled by the fear of man. Throughout the next seven weeks, we will see that overcoming the fear of others is not something that we can accomplish on our own. There's one person that did not give in to the fear of man who gave himself up for us so that we could fear God rightly and overcome our fear of man. So a question for you all. What are your fear of man stories? Anyone? Ah, cool. When you were talking about restaurants, that really struck a chord. Do you really do want to engage in meaningful prayer time? But a lot of times I am gauging it against, has she been here recently enough that she's not going to come back? And I'm standing mm. there waiting and waiting and waiting. Mm. Yes. Okay, let's continue. Uh, <clears throat> okay, so categories for the fair man. In weeks three, four, and five, we're going, to exp- uh, we're going to closely examine three categories for the fear of man. The, fast, the first category, we fear that people will expose us. The fear of exposure may manifest itself in a variety of activities and attitudes. Uh, pornography or lust, which at its heart se- uh, seeks to separate sexual pleasure from the work of being vulnerable, committed, and responsible to your mate in marriage. Obsession with other forms of fantasy, such as video game, virtual reality, and role-playing. I know if you're over 50, you may not understand virtual reality, but your kids do. <laughs> how, about, how about escapism? Drugs and alcohol, uh, food and eating disorders, music or television? At the heart of many addictions, you'll find a form of fear of man. How about perfectionism? Obsession with work. A person seeks to establish his or her identity through work, making a name for themselves, only to waste a lifetime of behind fading accomplishments. Hypermasculinity and feminism. We see a fear of exposure running through gender role confusions. American hyperindividuality and self-reliance. Since the 1980s, the number of adults who say that they, have, that they are lonely has doubled. Roughly 43 million uh, adults over the age of 45 say that they are lonely today. The second category we'll look at is we fear that people will reject us. This is often connected to things about us in comparison to other people. We judge and compare social standings with others. Where do I live? What do I drive? What else do I possess? We compare relationships. Am I friends with the right people? Am I part of the inner circle? Was I invited to the right parties and outings? Experiences. Have I traveled to to these countries? Have I been part of these events? Was I there when this happened? How about education? What assessments do you make of other people? What assessments do you make of yourselves when you hear that someone went to an Ivy League school or a state university, a private school, or a community college? How about character, sharing the gospel, being honest, telling the whole truth, even when you know it won't help your image, doing the right thing, etc. 
The fear of being rejected takes on different shapes depending on which side of the equation you find yourself. If you lack something, you may feel that you may feel inadequate or worthless. If you possess these things, you may feel contempt towards those who lack them. You may feel superior. You may even pity others. In the last category we'll look at, uh, we fear that people will physically hurt us. And this can be related to a number of things. The bully down the street, a violent spouse, violence in your neighborhood, an angry person, sexual abuse, verbal mockery, Christian persecution, physical suffering for the gospel, terrorism, racism. We will think through these categories of the fear of man in the coming weeks and how they apply to our lives. But at the center, a heart that wrongly fears man is a heart that loves self more than God. Throughout the next seven weeks, we'll be exploring what the fear of man looks like, what the fear of God looks like, what it means to live a life that fears God more than man, and finally, understanding that we need a new vision for life, a vision that is controlled by a desire to love God and love our neighbors. All of us have seen the fear of man in our lives. What we, uh, what we do, we, we will begin addressing it in a, we'll begin looking at it and addressing it in a gospel-centered fashion. This is what we intend to consider in the coming weeks. So who fears man? 1 Corinthians 10:13 tells us, "No temptation has seized you except what is common to man." So who fears man? According to this scripture, this is something that we all struggle with. And we'll see a little later, some of the strongest figures in scriptures were plagued with this struggle. Fear of man is a universal struggle. It is not limited to the position or social standing. It affects the strong and the weak, the rich and the poor, the timid and the bold, the believer and the unbeliever. And this is actually credibly encouraging when we examine uh, the sin in ourselves and in others to be reminded the truth of 1 Corinthians 10. It's one of Satan's first lines of attack is to make us think that we are the only one that struggles with this particular sin, that it's unique to us. And this is one of the beautiful aspects of being part of a church, that through our involvement in each other's lives, through honest, transparent conversations with other people that are completely different from ourselves, we can begin to see the commonality of our sin and our shared need in Christ. So, so what are the ways that you have seen the fear of man in your own life? So have any of you guys seen the fear of man in your own life? Okay, let's continue. So number two, why do we fear man? We fear man because of past experiences. Past experiences tell us that people can hurt us. They can cause us pain and difficulties. Life hurts. We get rejected. We get exposed. In the Gospel of Luke, Christ tells us not to fear those who can kill the body and do no more. In other words, people can kill us, but that's not the worst thing that can happen to us. Another, thing, another reason we fear man is because of pride. We are proud and self-centered. Pride is at the heart of the fear of man. Pride is not limited to the self-confident. It is at the heart of the insecure and codependent person, too. 
Both individuals are orienting them, themselves around the basis of, of how they compare to others. The self-pitying introverted secretary is every bit as proud as the egotistical aggressive CEO. And we fear man because we have a needs-based view of other people. I need her love. I need his respect. I need my children's obedience. I need his friendship. I need a good church. I need clothes. I need this type of education. I need meaningful work. It becomes very easy for us to move from the word need to believing that we actually desire something. We have, we have a wrong view of what we truly need and what we truly deserve. While all these things that I just mentioned are good things, is it ultimately true that I need those things? I may want those things. There may be great advantage to having those things. I may function best with those things. But as a Christian, I must ultimately say no, that I don't need those things. The only thing that I truly need in this life or the next is for my sins to be atoned for and to be reconciled to God. And furthermore, the only thing that I truly deserve is to spend eternity in hell for the sins that I have committed. Ed Welch says, if we think that our sin is in any way superficial, then we do not understand the true nature of sin. When psychological needs rather than sin are seen as our primary problem, not only is our self-understanding affected, but the gospel itself is changed. A needs theory suggests that the gospel is most deeply intended to meet psychological needs. In other words, the gospel is aimed at our self-esteem problem. It is aimed at our tendency to dwell on our failures. It is intended to be a statement of God's love saying that God doesn't make junk. This sounds good to us, but it's not the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is not intended to make us feel good about ourselves. Instead, the good news humbles us. In Isaiah 6, for example, the presence of God first destroys Isaiah's view of himself. Then it cleanses him and liberates him from himself and his own sinful desires. After his symbolic cleansing and liberation, Isaiah was free to be less concerned about himself and more concerned about the plan of God. Jesus did not die to increase our self-esteem. Rather, Jesus died to bring glory to the Father by redeeming people from the curse of sin. Of course, the cross has many benefits, one being that we are no longer cast out of the presence of God and that we have intimacy with the Holy One. But the cross deals with our sin problem our true problem. As we begin to re-examine what we truly need and deserve, we are able to reorientate ourselves according to the one who has endured pain, rejection, and exposure to shame. Throughout this course, we'll be looking at the fear of man through the lens of the gospel. Dealing with the fear of man apart from Christ's work on the cross may provide some temporary relief and some boostering of self-confidence, but it never addresses the root cause of the problem. And we need a changed heart and eyes that can see. Number three, what does Scripture say about the fear of man? Let's look at some verses in Scripture to better help us understand the fear of man. It originated with the fall in Genesis 3, 6-7. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
It is short-sighted. Luke 12, 4-5. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I shall show you, you, show you whom you shall fear. Fear whom, him who, who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you in hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. It's a trap. Proverbs 29:25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. It is the opposite of love. 1 John 4:18 says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It minimizes the nature of our position in Christ. Romans 8:35, 38 and 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither present or future, nor, pa- nor any powers, neither height or depth, or anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It can only be overcome through the power of the gospel. Romans 8:31 to 34 Examples of men and women who feared, uh, who feared man more than God. Adam in Genesis 3, the verse we talked about above, did not live in fear of God. He disobeyed and ate of the fruit. Abraham in Genesis 12 feared Pharaoh would kill him because of Sarah's beauty. Therefore, he told a half-truth or a lie. Abraham was the father of a great nation who would struggle with the fear of man. It is wrong to think that our giving in to the fear of man only affects ourselves. Jacob, in Genesis 27, flees from his brother Esau after stealing his birthright, fearing that Esau would kill him. Moses, in Exodus 2 and in Numbers 20, as a young man, Moses kills another man and then flees, fearing punishment and death. Later in his life, as the leader of the Israelites, Moses strikes the rock in anger, fearing the people more than trusting and fearing in God. Aaron, in Exodus 32, gives into the Israelites' demands to fashion idols of gold and then defends his motives before Moses. Samson, in Judges 14, gives into his nagging wife. His fear of man was met with immediate and tragic results. Saul, in 1 Samuel 18, responds in jealous anger towards David becoming king. Jonah, four, uh, uh, Jonah in Jonah 4, is outraged by God's compassion upon the Nineveh. His fear of man was manifested in hatred towards the Ninevites. The Pharisees, there's many examples throughout the gospel, feared both the response and the opinions of the people. They viewed themselves as being superior, as being better than others. Peter in Luke 22 denies Christ. In Galatians 2, Paul confronts Peter for his allying himself with the Judaizers fearing their opinion and thus adjusting his doctrinal practices, thereby confusing the gospel. This is not meant to be an exhaustive list, but is instead just examples throughout Scripture. We will look at many of these verses and examples in greater details in the coming weeks as we seek to gain a better understanding of what Scripture has to say about the fear of man. Number four, what does the fear of man produce in our lives? In one sense, it's difficult to say what fruit is developed by the fear of man. The fear of man is a fruit of not living in the fear of God. It is the uh, fruit that is produced from self-dependency in our lives. 
One fruit that can be developed is discontentment. If my immediate hope and trust is being placed in the opinions of other people, I'll never truly be happy or satisfied. Another fruit that can be produced is unhealthy dependencies upon others. If my orientation towards others are not correct, therefore I will, I will need them in an unhealthy manner. Another fruit could be cynicism. If I value the opinions of other people more than the opinions of the Lord, I will grow cynical as I see that other people cannot bear the weight of my expectations. And also bitterness can be developed. Through, disconnect, through uh, discontentment and cynicism will lead to bitterness, a deeper fear of man that runs its course throughout our lives. Do you see any of these threads running through your lives? Number five, what does the world do with the fear of man? We have spent a good deal of time talking and thinking about the fear of man and what it does to us. But how is it woven through the very fabric of our culture? It would be good to spend a few minutes considering how the world describes the fear of man, what it does to cope with the fear of man, and how it uses the fear of man to its own advantage. How does the world describe the fear of man and its manifestations? It uses words like codependence, peer pressure, perfectionism, egotism, self-esteem language, the alpha male, type A personality versus type B personality. So how does the world cope? What does the world do to help people cope with the fear of man? I use the word cope because there's no ultimate solution for the fear of man. We live in the midst of a therapeutic age, and the unfortunate truth is that much of what is taught in evangelical churches today is more colored by a therapeutic model of secular counselors than what's built around what scripture has to say about the topic. Al Muller says, we live in an age where the primary question asked by most people is, am I well? What they mean is, am I well in the psychological sense? We have to understand that for Americans, this is normal. It is normal to be told that the self is the center of everything and that the self is a project that they undertake throughout the entirety of their lives. As a result, most Americans believe that their major, that their major problem is something that has happened to them. In other words, an outside problem and that their solution is to be found within. Whatever, what the gospel says, however, is that we have an inner problem that demands an outside solution, a righteousness that's not our own. Even though, we, even though we are looking at the topic as Christians living in an American culture, we should be aware that there are different cultures. The fear of man is experienced in different ways. In many Asian, Asian cultures, there is a significant emphasis placed upon the relationship with the family. Fear of man is experience of shame that can take on more of a community orientation. Even within a city like Burlington, you have many different subcultures operating within a larger culture. Yet the main point is not the variety of the manifestations of the struggle, but the core problem. The world would have us look at a myriad of manifestations and develop models to approach each of these manifestations and thereby divert our attention to the, to the true cause and problem. Number six, is the fear of man ever reasonable, and how do we know? The short answer is yes, it is. There are many times when it is right and appropriate to fear others. It is right to fear others in the sense that we should afford proper respect to people. It is right to fear others in the presence of physical danger. It would be foolish to take a haphazard approach to danger. 
It is not wrong or sinful to desire that others would approve and accept us. It is not wrong to desire that every facet of our lives not be exposed to all. The fear of others begins to become sinful when it governs our lives. When we cross the line from enjoying the approvals of others to believing that we need or deserve. When we are so gripped with fear of being physically hurt that we are unwilling to live as the Lord has called us to live, that is sin. The Christian life is not one of needless pain, uh, pursuits of pain, suffering, and rejection, but neither is a religion that understands that these things are ultimate. If you are struggling to know if you have the right or wrong fear of man, think back to the questions that we asked at the beginning of this class. Is there any questions? That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yes, Chris. Yeah, we, we, we are told to, that, that God has put them in those positions, and we are told that we are to respect them and obey them, right? So, as long as what they're doing isn't biblical, right? As long as what they're doing is biblical, it's, right? Yes, 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 yes. It's where it's where we're fearing man and we're not fearing God is what the is what the is really really what it's, what it's saying. Yeah. Yeah, John. That's a good question, John. I don't know. I, I mean, I think that's, that would take a long time to re- sit down and go through and think about that. Yeah, that's a tough topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
Yes. I think knowing that our identity is in Christ gives us some self-worth. So, so even though you're talking to someone that may have this like huge degree or this doctor or whatever, um, when you realize that your worth is not based upon your education, that it's based on being a born, uh, being created in the image of God, that's your true worth and value. So. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, Heather. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. Yep. One other thing. Are you kind of implying that this is self Oh, sorry. What's that, John? Are you implying that fear is self-reinforcing? Yeah, I think there's a, a fine line between fear and faith. So you can be more fearful and have less faith. If you, I don't know if that's answering your question. I'm not really sure what question you're asking there. But you think fear increases with time? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, I would say yes to that, yes. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're, we're going to run out of time here soon, so let me just close this, uh, let me conclude, and then I'll close up in a word of prayer. Okay, so in conclusion, we fear man, uh, we fear man because we do not fear God, or we do not fear God enough. Uh, each time we give ourselves over to the fear of man, we are choosing to love ourselves more and fear God less. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon closes his book with, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Next week we'll we'll begin to unpack what the fear of God looks like, because until we have a solid grasp of what Scripture says about fearing God, we will not be able to address what the fear of man looks, looks like in our lives. So let me just close this in a word of prayer, and then we can go get a drink. Father, just uh, thank you so much for this time uh, that we had to uh, look at the fear of man. And just pray that you'll open our hearts and our eyes up uh, over the next seven weeks as we look through Scripture, uh, the verses that are related to uh, the fear of man, to fearing God and loving others. And just open our eyes up to the truth of Scripture, Father. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.